the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com. Bit past 4, you're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. Thank you for tuning in. Had a nice day so far. Got around 60, 62. Clear skies ahead, low 40 tonight. Mix of clouds and sun tomorrow, a lot like today. Maybe just a bit cooler. Tomorrow's high around 59. Sixers lost to Miami last night. They're home this evening against Chicago at 8 o'clock, their final game of the regular season. And uh, then the playoffs kick in. NHL playoffs start tonight. Five matchups, including Pittsburgh and the Islanders going at it. Phillies lost last night 10-6 to Washington. They were ahead 6-0 at one point. Michael Franco with a homer. Bryce Harper, a three-run homer. And... uh, then just kind of fell apart over the course of the rest of the game. They are back home tonight, 7.05, in the third and final game of the series with Washington. In just a moment, Rob Motti of the Associated Press will join us to chat about that. Uh, just to give you a quick heads up, also looking forward this hour to talking to not one, but two of the current contestants on The Voice, Season 16, Rebecca Howell, who's on Team Kelly, and Jacob Maxwell, who is on Team John. We also are looking for, uh, very much forward to having Alistair Begg from Truth For Life, that program airs 5 o'clock each weekday afternoon and also in the mornings. Uh, he's going to be joining us later in the hour as well. He has a new book called Pray Big. We're giving copies away of that. If you want to get yourself in the running, send me a quick text with your first and last name and the words Pray Big to 610-500-DOVE. 610-500-3683. We're giving that away all month. So get yourself in the running one time and we'll hopefully draw your name out. In the meantime, we do join at this time Rob Motti, Associated Press Head Writer for the Phillies and among other teams in Philadelphia. How you doing, man? Hey, Timmy. How are you? I'm doing better than the Phils are from last night, at least. Man, how does that happen? Yeah. Yeah, I, I got spoiled three games in a row that were under three hours. And then last night, we're, we're a little slow along the way. And then they're one strike away. Everything's ready to go. And Bang, home run, extends the game, and, and, and ends up being a four-hour game. They lose that one. It was a really tough loss. Their bullpen situation uh, is, is difficult right now, and it's something that they need to figure out. The fact that they're trying to go closer by committee and last night didn't have a couple guys available uh, backfired on them for sure. Yeah, and to have a 6 nothing lead, you know, Franco with a homer and Harper with a three-run, they look like they're on the way and another win at the ballpark, and you're not going to win all of them, obviously, but – they got, got to be disappointed to go from six up six nothing to losing ten six. You tell me, you know, Reese Hoskins the other day when the Phils had a loss, they came back with a win. He said something along the lines of, "The great thing about this game is you're basically put right back in the same position within a day, so you can get it out of your system and and keep going." Yeah, and and that's the, that is the beauty of baseball. You're you're playing 162 games a year. We're, they're they're guaranteed now that they can't win 160. <laughs> the best they can do is 159 at, at this point. It is disheartening. You have Aaron Nola, your ace, with a 6-1 lead, a 5-1 lead. He had not looked like Aaron Nola of last year, and that's a little bit of a concern. He did win the season opener, but he was wild, and, and now the last two outings he's given up some home runs. And if you go back to September of last year, he's given up quite a few home runs 
over his last uh, six, seven, eight appearances. So that's something to keep an eye on. Had they had either David Robertson available or Pat Neshack, maybe the outcome is different last night. Some people are questioning Gabe Kapler's use, and I know his intention was to try and get two innings out of Hector Neris last night, but once he threw 29, 30 pitches to get out of the eighth, couldn't bring him back in the ninth. Uh, I think it's something that needs to be addressed. I know a lot of people are, are clamoring for Craig Kimbrell. I put up a stat. Craig Kimbrell, for as good as he is and has been over his career, his last, I believe, uh, 22 or so appearances from last year into the postseason, he had an ERA over five and a half. So he, he also faltered down a stretch, and a lot of times he was saving games for the world champion Red Sox in which he was given a three-run lead to protect, and, and although he did get the save, he was given up a run or two runs. Hmm. So I don't know that he's the answer at the type of money that he wants. If they're able to get him at a one-year deal, uh, for reasonable money, absolutely. But if he's still holding on to a long-term deal for a lot of money, that might not be the route to go. Rob Mate, who's the head writer for the Associated Press for the Phils and also for the Eagles and covers all the sports, really. Uh, our guest, just for a couple of minutes here, heading down to the ballpark. I, uh, you know, I'm willing, just to say, it's a side note, um, I would not command what Craig Kimbrell commands. But, you know, I wasn't at the ballpark last night. When I'm there, they seem to win. When I'm not there, they lose. I, so, <laughs> you, know, you, spoil, you spoil me, Timmy, being down there. I, 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 now I get to my seat, and I'm looking around for, for my buddy to have some dinner with and sit down with and, and, and chat, and, and you weren't there. So you, you got to figure things out and try and get down there a little bit more often. Now. Uh, I hope so. I hope so. Well, tonight we have my daughter's pine car derby at church, and uh, Tessa has her first softball scrimmage, so it won't be tonight either. But Next week. Family first. Family first. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just so folks know, also, you know, we've had you on the program a number of times in recent weeks uh, uh, and months. Um, there's a newcomer, one of many, on the Phillies this year, Andrew McCutcheon, who's made some nice plays and, and done fairly well for the Phillies this year. He's in a book that you wrote, uh, Baseball Faith. And just let folks know about that book a little bit if they want to get an additional, you know, besides the stats and the sports, if they want to dig deeper. Yeah, there's a book that came out two years ago. Uh, I, I wrote it as a follow-up to Football Faith. I interviewed about, it was 52 different baseball players, former, past, present players. They asked them what their favorite Bible verse is, and they just spoke a little bit about it. Andrew McCutcheon is in that book, and also another new Philly, J.T. Romuto. He's also in there as well. That's right. That's right. The best place yeah. for folks to look that up, just Google Baseball Faith. Will they find it that way, or...? Yeah, Amazon. It's still. It's still. Uh, they still have it out there and can get it through Amazon. I'm, I'm sure it's uh, probably less than half the cost it originally was. Okay, sounds great. We'll enjoy the ball game tonight. Hopefully, the Phils will turn things around. Be right back on the winning track. You got it, Timmy. Look forward to seeing you again soon. <laughs> sounds good. Rob Motti with the Associated Press, our guest on the Tim DeMoss Show, AM five sixty WFIL WFIL dot com. Take a quick break and come back at you with Rebecca Howell from season sixteen of The Voice. She's a current contestant. We'll chat with her next on WFIL. It's the Tim DeMoss Show podcast, available at WFIL.com. Thanks for listening. AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com. It's the Tim DeMoss Show. Thanks for listening in. We're rolling right along now as we continue the program by bringing in Rebecca Howell. She is a current contestant on season 16 of The Voice, part of Team Kelly. Hello, Rebecca. How are you? Thanks for being a part of things. I'm doing great. How are you? Wonderful. Bit of a whirlwind week for you? Yeah, actually. It's uh, pretty crazy. They have us um, getting geared up for the cross battle. So, yeah, we have a pretty hectic week. Well, you, you had a wonderful uh, experience the other night, and I guess 
Kelly and Blake, and after a while, John Legend all hit their buttons to talk about what that was like to go through watching that unfold, especially Kelly and Blake were kind of close together, and then after a while, John jumped in near the very end of the song, right? So talk about how that felt to watch that, you know, as a, as a performer, what are you hoping for, and is it easier to see the back of the chair, or once they've turned around, that takes some pressure off, and now you can go forward even more easily? Well, um, you know, starting out, I thought I would be, like, really extremely nervous, but I actually walked out on the stage, and I felt really comfortable, and, uh, you know, I started singing, and really, Kelly turned right off the bat, pretty much. I got a few lines out, and it's like she turned around, and I remember um, when I saw the chair come around, just immediately being like, okay, don't look in her eyes, because <laughs> mm. I was like, I don't want to, like, see her, and then completely freak out and just, like, mess up my song, so I saw her, and I acknowledged that she turned, and then I was like, okay, look to the crowd. And so um, I kept singing, you know, and then Blake turned, and, you know, it just was, it was an unreal feeling. I was like, oh, gosh, okay, so there's two. Keep going, keep going. And then I don't know if you noticed, but, like, in the video, I didn't even know I did this, but um, when John turned, I just had this big smile come across my face. Absolutely. And I think it was because, <laughs> I think it was because in that moment, you know, like, John is, is like R&B, kind of like soulful, and I really didn't expect him to turn for me because, yeah. you know, I'm country. And so, like, I don't know, just having even John Legend turn around for me, being a country artist, was really, I don't know, it, it just made me feel really good. Like, you know, even though I'm not in his genre necessarily, he still thought, wow, this girl is really good. And I don't know, it just made me feel really good about myself. But, yeah, it definitely was an amazing feeling seeing those chairs turn. Chatting with Rebecca Howe uh, with The Voice, I literally wrote down, it seemed you had a big smile on your face after John hit his button just near the end of the song. So I definitely saw that, what you just said. That really must have been quite a thing, partly also because, you know, to have another judge jump in near the end of the song is like, okay, now I have even more options. Although, did you go in kind of thinking, I I'd like to go with Kelly if that's where it goes, or Blake? Those are those are big heavyweights to, you know, to choose between. Yeah, Um so going into blind um, auditions, I had originally, I know, like, everybody's like, okay, Blake Shelton is obviously who she's going to go with because he's country, she's country, that's who she needs to go with. But I really was thinking, you know, maybe I should expand more, you know, as an artist. Like, I think Kelly has, you know, she's done all different kinds of genres, and she's crossed lines, and she doesn't just stay in one place. and. And I love that about her, and I think she has just such a big, powerful voice. And um, as a female, you know, country artist who has, you know, more of a powerful voice, I really wanted to work with another strong female like that and just kind of get her guidance and stuff. And I know, you know, Blake has um, a lot of uh, experience in country music, but I also feel like Kelly does too have some experience in country music, and I think she could help me grow the most as an artist. So when I was deciding... Um, she was always kind of from the beginning who I really wanted to go with. But in that moment, let me tell you, it is so difficult <laughs> because, you know, you're just standing there and, like, all these people are pitching you these ideas. And I'll tell you right now, John Legend is a smooth talker. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He is very smooth. And to your point. So it was really hard. Well, to your point about wanting to maybe expand a little bit, that was his message to you. Like, I know I'm not the, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Country over here, but. I think I can work with you, and he complimented you, and I could see if that's where your mind already was with Kelly, you might start thinking, 
well, maybe John has a point here and maybe I can stretch even further. So that, at minimum, it's flattering, obviously. And then, to ha- I mean, how much time do you really have to decide? You, you only have those few seconds, really, right? 10, 20 seconds or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, so, yeah, you're just standing um, and you have like very, like a couple seconds yet to decide what you want to do. And I really, honestly, like it was really in that moment between John and Kelly for me. And I think what really sold me to just, with my gut and originally with Kelly was one that she was the very first person to turn for me right off the bat. Yeah. So that was, that was a really um, big, I guess, player when it comes to like why I chose her. And two, I just think her personality is so fun. Mm -hmm. Like she's literally the nicest, like coolest person. And I think her energy is just so fun. And I thought that would just be so cool to work with. So yeah. I think that's really why I kind of just went with her over John. But I believe, you know, John would have been an amazing coach. Oh, any of them really, obviously to have that, to have that level mm-hmm. of coaching from anybody would be great. But uh, Rebecca, Howell with the voice is with us. She chose Kelly uh, to be her uh, coach to move forward with, uh, but you've been singing for a lot of years. And I know uh, I'm always interested in hearing people's story. I understand that you were doing some singing when you were in, in grade school in a competition and that kind of helped propel things to maybe realize maybe there's more I could do with this. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I sang with uh, Georgia 4-H. I don't know if you know what 4-H is. A lot of people don't know. Um, But uh, it's like a a club that's really big in Georgia and kind of agricultural leadership-based. But I performed a lot with them. Um, They have these competitions every year at the National Fair in Georgia and um, another big competition just through the, the club. And um, every single year I competed in both of those competitions. And so, you know, I kind of was was used to just, like, being a part of a competition, like singing against other people. And I think that kind of did help me to be prepared, you know, to what it's like to be in a singing competition. Yeah. Share about your grandmother, too. I understand she's a big supporter for you and, and recently passed away. But talk about that relationship, if you would. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, yeah, so I was extremely um, close with my granny, and um, she passed away in 2017, just uh, very mm. sudden. It, we were not expecting it at all. Mm. And, um, yeah, so it was really hard. Honestly, one of the hardest things I've ever had to go through. At the time, I had never lost anyone. And so she was honestly, like, she basically raised me. Like, she kept me every day after school and stuff from my parents and just was pretty much like that, that third parent that was like there every single day and she just you know out of the blue got sick and it was two three months later she was gone and we just weren't prepared for it and she was always at everything i didn't go to a single singing competition show choir performance one act performance that she wasn't at and then you know it's like right there at the beginning of my senior year and she's just not there anymore that's a gift. It's just weird because, you know, you look out in the audience and they're not there. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, you know that she she is in the sense that she really invested in you to have that support all those years. You know, you carry that with you. It's a, it's a part of who you are and why you're able to do what you do. It's, uh, yes. Yeah. And I understand, too, that you uh, spend time singing at your church or that's what's coming up in the future for you, part of doing some worship leading at, at church. My kids are involved in our worship band at our church. So I'm just curious what you what your ties are to that. Oh, yeah. So my dad is actually a pastor. Okay. And so um, I started out singing in church. 
before 4-H. <laughs> so wow. I was singing in church. That's where I got started. Um, and then this past year, in my senior year of high school, a pastor came to me from Christ Chapel Cochrane, where I live at, yeah. and uh, asked me if I'd like to fill in as worship leader. So for uh-huh. the past few months, I've been uh, leading worship at Christ Chapel Cochrane, where I live. That's cool. How do you like it so far? Do you think, you, if, if schedule permitting, you'd like to do that for a little while? Yeah, I love leading worship. You know, I mean, I love using my talents, you know, for God, and I think um, it's been a great opportunity to, like, grow even in that aspect as an artist. Like, it's really helped me, I don't know, just being in front of people singing every Sunday and stuff, I think definitely prepared me even more for this moment. So, yeah, I love it. That's great. Well, God bless you, Rebecca, one day at a time to enjoy the ride and like you say, I'm sure you know, you just keep walking with God. He'll take you wherever, you know, he's got good plans for you. And uh, however far you go, you know, that it's, it's God's good. So I'm sure you know that. Yes, sir. Yeah. Thanks for taking time. Good to make your acquaintance and have fun the rest of the ride. Well, it was nice to speak with you. Thank you so much. Sure thing. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye. That's Rebecca Howell, currently on Season 16 of The Voice, joining the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560, WFIL, WFIL.com. Brief break. Looking forward to another contestant, Jacob Maxwell, who happens to be on Team John, John Legend, on Season 16 of The Voice. We also are looking forward to Alistair Begg from Truth For Life joining our program. If you want to win his brand new book, which comes out today, called Pray Big, send me a quick text with your first and last name and just the words Pray Big to 610-500-DOVE. 610-500-3683. We're drawing winners all month long. So get yourself in the mix and hopefully we'll pull your name out to win with uh, WFIL. It's the Tim DeMoss Show, weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues. AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com. It's the Tim DeMoss Show rolling along, and we switch gears now and bring in Jacob Maxwell. He's a current contestant on Season 16 of The Voice. Hello, Jacob. Thanks for spending some time today. Hello. Hey, it's Tim. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Tim? Good. Thank you for checking in. Are you calling from your beautiful hometown, or where are you at today? You know, we're actually in beautiful L.A. Okay. L.A.'s good. How do you say the name of your hometown again? Coeur d'Alene or something? Yeah, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And you grew up there, right? It's a, I've heard it's a beautiful, I've seen a couple of pictures. It seems like a gorgeous area. Yeah, it's a lake resort town, actually. I, I did grow up there. And yeah, that place is home for sure. That's great. Well, it's nice to make your acquaintance. You've had a big week. And uh, talk about your experience in terms of your when, when even um, trying out for The Voice became something you thought about giving a go. For sure, man. I mean, I had dreamed of being on The Voice since, I'd say, season two. I remember being about 12 or 13 and uh, watching episodes go and just wanting to be on that stage so bad. And so, first of all, just being here now is truly, I mean, it's the most cliche phrase, but a dream come true is very accurate that I would literally dream of this and then here I am today, which is awesome. But definitely told myself I wasn't ready for many years until my girlfriend actually pushed me to go onto their website and uh, send in the video submission. From that point, um, you just get a response here and there about moving forward into the show. And before you knew it, I had a spot to fly down to L.A. and do the blind audition. That's great. I know there's a process, I think what they call them, an open call. Is that a, one of the ways or the main way people go, like anybody off the street could try, and then there's several weeding out 
processes before the blind audition? Is that kind of the path, typically speaking? Totally. There's, there's two primary ways. There's the open call, and those are just specific locations where you can go in and try out. Or you can send a video from your home and, and just hope for a response back. So okay. I did the video submission, but open calls are, I'd say, probably the more popular audition. Okay, so I wasn't aware of that. So that's you kind of just uh, used the, the easy pass at, uh, at Great Adventure and jumped into the <laughs> speed pass or whatever. But you had to, but you had to have the ability, obviously, to, to pull that off. I also understand early on around those days you were uh, you're part of your church's worship team. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. I, I come from a church back home called Anthem, and they've been on the worship team for about five or six years at this point. That's great because you do guitar on your uh, you know on the voice. Um, uh, by the way, is the is the that was one question I had about the voice in general. Uh, most of the folks, I guess, don't use a guitar, but I do see them pop up every now and again. It, what's the rules about you know using an instrument or not? I guess it would have to be a guitar. Yeah. It's usually just up to um, how badly you want to do it, and if you're confident, it's not going to distract you from singing. So, any time that there's a song where you feel like you should put more attention into your vocals. They definitely let you know that you're more than welcome to use it or not to. So I basically just asked if I could play guitar, and they were very cool about it. Just said, yeah, go for it. But if you feel like it might take away from focusing on your song, just be honest with yourself. And there you go into the battle where it was more of an upbeat song, so I didn't play for that one. But, uh, yeah, they're really cool about letting you bring the instrument if you really want to. Chatting with Jacob Maxwell with The Voice, one of the current uh, participants in that. Tim DeMoss Show, AM560, WFIL in Philly. Do, do you play guitar in your worship band at church? I do, yeah. I, I sing and play guitar at the worship team, and um, for, for that case, it's pretty much always with the guitar on me. Yeah, that's good. My kids are 20 down to 8, and the oldest three of all help me worship, usually playing keyboards or singing. So it's uh, neat to connect with people who do something similar like that. So, Absolutely, that's awesome. Yeah. As far as your experience, I guess John Legend was the first one to hit, and then Kelly quickly was right behind him. Uh, it, it was also kind of neat. John said he liked you because you have a biblical name because your voice is heavenly, so he had a little, <laughs> little joke going, going on there. But you seem to have fun with yeah. the whole thing and play the moment, uh, even at the end, where you're like, I pick John. You know, you, Some people look a little more nervous. You seem to have a lot of fun with it. Oh, yeah. I mean... The, the nerves were definitely there, but I, I just kind of got myself into this mindset that, you know, I, I, we all dream for these things, and I didn't want to ruin it with letting my nerves take the best of it. So um, I'm very happy to see and know that, though I was very nervous, I, I kind of set that aside for that moment. Just, you know, it's, it's 90 seconds to change a coach's mind and make him press a button, and so I knew I had to be really focused and, and not let my head get in the way with nerves and, you know, anxiety, but... Yeah, overall, it was probably the most fun I've ever had. <laughs> Did John turning his chair uh, first play a factor in picking him? It seems that that pl- plays a role, if nothing else, in people's line of thinking. Like, well, you wanted me first. You know, there's a connection there. But w- did you know what you wanted to do ahead of time or think through, if I'm picked by so-and-so, I want to go with that guy or girl? Totally. I mean, I, I think the, the top two coaches I would have wanted, just because of upbringing and who was a kid would be either Adam or John. Yeah. Um, but I truly had no like major preference. I'd be honored with any of them. And truly, by the time this song was over and I listened to both of them, I was truly open to either one. But it was John with uh, the way he worded things and kind of what resonated with me and, and what he noticed about my voice. And, 
yeah, just the way that he was very calm but yet very serious. I, it was, it, he's an enticing guy and uh, very charming. Mm-hmm. But um, it was definitely wasn't easy to say no to Kelly either. But yeah, by the end of the of the conversation, I just felt pretty strongly that I should pick John. That's great. Chatting with Jacob Maxwell with The Voice uh, on Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560 WFIL in Philly. How do you, as you're taking all of this in, um, how do you stay grounded? And, and have you do you, have you taken a couple moments to step back from it a bit to think about it in terms of your, your life's journey so far and what role it may or may not play? Absolutely. I mean, as a Christian, I know that it's in God's hands. So there's a, a good part of me that gets to lean back and know that as long as I can try to maintain some peace and not let the dose get to me, but I believe God has a plan for me that's better than my own ideas. So um, it's easy for me, for the most part, to, to kind of lean back on Him and let Him do the rest. And as long as I'm trying as hard as I can and, and giving it all that I have with, with what I'm singing and the way I'm singing it, I, I know that uh, the rest is out of my control. So it truly is just a, a state of your mind where you got to be, be humble, but you got to be confident in it give it your all, or else you're going to look back and wonder what would have happened if you didn't give it everything you have. But for the most part, it's good to step back and step out of yourself and realize what a blessing and a privilege it is to be in the numbers that I'm in right now to get a contestant and just be grateful for it, because this doesn't get to happen for a lot of people. So that allows me to just try to savor every moment and, and not let the stress get to me. That's great. Jacob Maxwell, our guest, uh, and uh, with The Voice, I'm guessing this is moving kind of quickly, so you also have to keep adjusting to, okay, this round I'm allowed to do this or I can't do that or here's who does what. So what space do you find yourself in now as far as the, the next set of things you're you're about to do? Yeah, so it was actually just announced last night's episode. Normally the next round would be called the knockouts, where I'd sing against another teammate, but instead of a duet, we just each get our own song to ourselves. Okay. This time we're actually going to call it the cross battle. So now I'm going to sing against someone from a different team. Oh. And it's actually up to America to vote for who they think in the pairing sung their song better. So starting next Monday, some of the contestants are going up and singing a song right up after some different team. And uh, oh. it's going to be up to America now. It's going to go live. So now so we're all here in L.A. now getting ready for next week's performance, kind of with our heads chopped off a little bit, trying to get everything in and practice our songs and and it's up to America by this point. And John, what role does John uh, Legend play in that as far as, does he help you pick a song, or, or do you have to sing a certain song, or you can do kind of whatever you're comfortable with, or recommendation by right, him? So the battle round, uh, he actually chose my pairing and my song. Um, but as we get further and further, the, the producers and the, and the show and the coaches want to make sure we're presenting ourselves with what we want to be known for. So for this next round, this is going to be a song that I had a lot of say in. I, I highly suggested. So, okay. Although I can't say what song it is yet, yeah, it's going to be more of my style, and I think people are going to see something that fits me a little bit better than, than they probably think it would. That's great, Jacob. It's a privilege talking to you. God bless you. Keep enjoying it one day at a time, and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk again a little later on, a little deeper into the tournament, so to speak. This was awesome, and thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Jacob Maxwell, current contestant on Season 16 of The Voice. Also spending time with us today on the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com. Taking a quick break and then coming back with Alistair Bag of Truth For Life. It's the Tim DeMoss Show on AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM 560 WFIL? Email D 
at WFIL.com. AM 560, WFIL, WFIL.com. The Tim DeMoss Show continuing along. We're very glad to bring into the equation now Alistair Begg. He's the senior pastor at Parkside Church in Cleveland, Ohio, also ministers and has done so for many years through the Truth For Life radio program. How are you today? I'm doing well yourself. Wonderful. Good, good. Pleasure to talk with you. Well, nice to chat with you. Yeah, we've had. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know that I've ever met you, and if I have, I apologize for forgetting. No, you haven't, because I was at the station, but then I went away and I came back, and because you yep. actually you've intersected with our station before. We have a pastor's breakfast in a couple of weeks, and I think you were a speaker at that uh, some years back. Twenty ten, I believe, was the year here in Philly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they like to have me every ten years. I think. So. <laughs> Well, it's what you say is that weighty and good that, that that's all they needed yeah. you for. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, <laughs> or it's so hard to digest that they need nine years to recover. <laughs> could be it. Well, you yeah. you uh, there's a lot we can chat about, but maybe we could start with this brand new book that's available today, sure. which is very exciting. Pray big. Um, yep. Yeah, share that backstory if you would. Was it something you'd been thinking about for a long time and finally were able to do, or uh, did it come together on the quick? Quick side. Well, no, it actually, the, the genesis of it is, as with most things in my life, is when I'm, uh, you know, when I'm studying uh, in order to preach and teach. And uh, we began some years ago a, a series of studies in Ephesians that lasted a lot longer than they should have done. And in the course of that, we were uh, studying uh, the prayers of Paul uh, in that if, uh, letter to Ephesus. And uh, I was struck then by um, the discrepancy between my own personal prayer life and the sort of uh, magnitude of Paul's. And so that, that really is the, the seed germ of, of the book coming, you know, a long time after that. It's not that uh, the book is uh, simply a rehash of, uh, of our studies then. They, that would be pretty dreadful. But that's the, that's the, that's the genesis. What are, you, what are your hopes for Pray Big as far as what, what readers may come away with, uh, maybe in different ways? Of course, each one may well, take it differently. Well, you know, one of my friends who, who uh, gave me a little endorsement on it is Kevin DeYoung, and, and, and he, he said, you know, that this book helps you feel not just like you should pray, but that you can. And I, I think my experience of books on prayer is that I've found them almost debilitating. That they, that or they made me feel so horribly guilty that I was either praying, you know, not enough, or praying at the wrong time, or you know, praying in the wrong way, and it it actually neutralized me rather than energized me. And so, in in this book, I'm hoping not to do that. I'm hoping to do the reverse of that, and to do as uh, as Kevin suggests that the book uh, will result in people saying not simply that they should. But that they can pray, that they get a get a help, if you like, from uh, learning from Paul. Alistair Begg is with us. Brand new book called "Pray Big." Do you think when prayer books come out, there is this tendency to think, "Oh, maybe this will be the one." <laughs> that feeling of yeah, you yeah. went, <laughs> "Well, this is the one I needed." And uh, tell yeah, yeah talk, talk about a little bit more what you know some of the themes you get well, into. I, I think that uh, one of the things that that is not provided in the book is if you like six keys to effective prayers, you know, right. that, uh, you know, that people go, oh, good. Well, if I can just master these half a dozen things, then we'll be, we'll be ready to go. 
uh, rather that it that it starts from the place uh, where Paul starts, and and that is he essentially starts on his knees. He he deals. He starts from the position of helplessness. In certain um, traditions, people um, make more of posture than than often I might do. But there is a tremendous uh, expression of need when somebody goes to their knees. And Paul actually begins by saying, "For this reason, um, I bow my knees." And one of the reasons that uh, prayer is um, neglected in in one's life is out of a sense of um, self-assertiveness or self-assuredness that 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 we don't really understand ourselves on a daily basis to be helpless that we can routinely take just about everything for granted and even the the things in life that we would regard as you know fairly ordinary health and strength and the ability to eat and swallow and walk and so on and when every so often we're brought up, you know, to, 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 to ponder the fact that, goodness gracious, it's even a miracle that every, all these bits of my body work, and you realize how amazing the creatorship of God is, then it ought to cause us, as we're driving the car, to sing out in praise to Him. Uh, it ought to cause us to bow our knees and thank Him, and so on. So that, that sense of uh, dependence upon God, uh, both for... The, the awareness of our need to pray, and then the enabling of the Holy Spirit in learning how to pray. Alistair Bag with us from Truth For Life, uh, among other things. The uh, brand new book today, Pray Big. Uh, but let's go back, if you don't mind, just share a bit of your testimony, how you came to know the Lord in the first place, and therefore, you know, how this book has become part of your walk with Him. Sure, yeah. Well, I mean, again, that's, that, is, that takes us to the place of prayer, doesn't it? I had the privilege, in many ways, of a of a background a little bit like Timothy, insofar as uh, I had a godly grandmother and a and a godly mother who who both prayed for me and uh, and as I anticipate one day um, getting the the real backstory to uh, God's dealings in my life, I presume that I'm going to discover that a great deal of that was tied to the unseen and yet faithful prayers of not only them, but, but of others who uh, knew of me and loved me. And probably the prayers, too, of uh, those who taught me at Sunday school as a boy in Glasgow. You know, my, just dealing, you know, on, a, on an average evening, if I've got two or three of my grandchildren staying over with me, just, you know, trying to get them to calm down and go to their beds and, and read a story, it's, I mean, it's a major exercise. <laughs> and, so, yeah. and so the thought of, and it's not because they're peculiarly disruptive or anything or, or, or un, you know, disobedient. It's just, it's just an effort, for me at least, which is one of the reasons you're supposed to have children when you're young, not when you're in your middle 60s. <laughs> but but, but when, I think about, when I think about the privilege and task of the average Sunday school teacher, with a group of boys, particularly rambunctious boys, you know, between the ages of, let's say, five and ten. Surely those teachers must be praying, praying for patience, praying for God to do what only God can do, and that is to open their eyes to understand what it is that's being said, and then to actually entrust themselves to the Savior of whom they've been speaking. And that really is the story of my um, initial encounter with Jesus, which uh, starts in the faithfulness of uh, prayer and the faithfulness of those who taught me, 
And then the faithfulness of my father, who was able to interpret for me some of the uh, questions of my young mind. And uh, really, at, uh, on a Sunday afternoon, as a, as a young boy at elementary school, I, I acknowledged that uh, I, I knew what it was to be jealous and, and hurtful and spiteful, and even in relationship to my sister, and that I could see that uh, I needed God to make me the kind of boy he wanted me to be. And, and uh, that, that, that's, uh, that's the beginning right there. The, the rest of the journey continues to today. At what point, maybe, would you? is there a point in your life you feel like there was a, a time it was clear to you that this is my Savior now and I, I'm walking with Him, or was it a little more of a gradual? Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. No, no I, I, right there and then on that Sunday afternoon, I mean, I, mean I, I, cannot, I can hardly believe that this happened, but I went back to school. And at school at that time, if, if you got like a new pair of shoes or if a girl got some new piece of uh, clothing, then you went behind the blackboard so you could show them uh, to your teacher. So it was a kind of show and tell, but not for everybody. Yeah. And then if the teacher felt that what you were showing or telling was, uh, uh, would be of interest or benefit to the larger company, then she would say, okay, so now Alistair is going to show you his new sneakers. Within short order, I don't know if it was the Monday or the Tuesday or the Wednesday, I went behind the blackboard and I told my teacher at school that I had asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior and I would like to sing a song. Now, if you've heard me singing, you know that is not something that I should be doing. <laughs> but I sang a chorus uh, to my class and it was directly tied to my understanding of Jesus as a Savior in a personal way. Hmm. Now. You go forward from there to the age of 16 when I was baptized in Yorkshire. That would be another uh, step forward in that, and there would be other points along the way. But in terms of the Genesis, I mean, I look forward to getting to heaven and finding out just in what context my name was written into the Lamb's Book of Life. Hmm. But if you, want, if you want to ask me what I did it from, then I did it from that Sunday afternoon on my knees in the family room with my dad. Alistair Begg, our guest on the Tim DeMoss Show, AM560, WFIL, WFIL.com. We'll take a brief break and continue our conversation on WFIL. Thanks for tuning in to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast with AM560, WFIL, and WFIL.com. AM560, WFIL, it's the Tim DeMoss Show. Continue our conversation with Alistair Begg from Truth For Life. Have a local connection to bring up here. Uh, my father actually went to Westminster Seminary back in the 50s, got a Bachelor of Divinity and a Master's of Divinity there. And uh, I understand you also have a history with Westminster. Well, in about uh, 19, probably 84, soon after I had come here, yeah. I, then, I then enrolled in the D-Min program at Westminster, okay. uh, where I would go for a week at a time to Philadelphia, and then I would be supposed to do my homework. Two things brought that to a crashing halt. One was that my teacher was Tim Keller, and he left to uh, found uh, Redeemer Church yeah. in Manhattan. And I, at the same time, realized that the amount of effort that was involved in you know, answering these questions in essay form was impinging negatively on my ability to prepare effectively for Sunday-by-Sunday Sunday ministry. Hmm. And so, so I, I, just, I just let it go. 
it was a great irony to me, however, when, uh, for whatever reason, uh, uh, the folks at Westminster decided to, to give me an honorary doctorate. And uh, Worked so, out. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I wish my mother was alive, you know, for me to explain. You see, Mom, I didn't need to do the essays. They just give it to you. So, yeah, That's but, but uh, it, if, if I had studied in the States at that level of intensity, then uh, Westminster in the same era as your father-in-law would have been my first choice, and particularly I would like to have been sitting in the systematic lectures provided by uh, John Murray. Alistair Begg is with us uh, with Truth for Life, this brand new book, also Pray Big. Is there a main thing you think that gets in the way, whether it's the uh, distractions of the culture, of social media being, you know, it could be a good thing, or other things, just the pace at which the culture is moving, even that, uh, that that can get in the way, or is there something deeper than that that you find would be a reason why people just don't really treat prayer the way, you know, they'd rather just get about their day and, and maybe throw a prayer out here and there from time to time? Well, there's just great confusion talked about prayer in general, both in the media and within the framework of, uh, of the Church, isn't there? And that's why it, I find it really, really helpful to consider, for example, the prayers of Jesus, or to consider the response of Jesus to the request of the, the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray, um, so that we, we're not left uh, with a quandary, as it were, but we have, we have patterns and we have principles. And the idea of the busyness of the time ought to be, um, ought to be um, creating in the Christian community the kind of response that it is creating in the secular community. Uh, for example, this is Master's Week, and, and I just uh, was listening to uh, one of the golfers yesterday explaining that uh, he meditates now, and the very great importance of uh, centering himself and uh, and getting inside his own head, and all the usual cliches, a lot of which have very strong links to uh, Hinduism. Uh, but they, they all start and end with me, what this means to me. So the idea of prayer becomes a kind of personal therapy. It's like taking deep breaths, breathing in and breathing out. It doesn't matter who the person is that one is, that one is addressing, or worse still, what the entity is that one is addressing. So why is it then that Christians are in the position? Why is it that most of the places that you go in some of our churches that are very, quote, effective churches have so little in terms of the engagement of the, co- of the congregation in prayer? A meaningful, purposeful gathering for prayer. Why is that? Well, once we've set aside the, well, of course, we've got a lot of travel, we've got a lot of things, we've got the football, we've got the thing. What are we actually saying? We're saying we don't believe it's a priority. In certain cases... We don't actually believe that it does anything. And worse still, we're so self-assured that we're unaware of our own helplessness. And so there's no need. The self-assured don't need to pray. Alistair Begg, our guest with the program Truth for Life, brand new book, Pray Big. What would you say or what would you encourage the the body of Christ overall in, if you wanted to push them forward, so to speak, in a good way, at this point in your life and in ministry? Well, you know, I think most of us, learn best by example. I continue to benefit, for example, from uh, the old Anglican Book of Common Prayer, which is the liturgy of the Anglican Church from, you know, basically the, uh, the Puritan era, uh, diaries of private prayer, because I, I want to know how people have engaged with God, even the language that they've used, because, because in the same way that 
sometimes I read a really good book and it there's a there's a piece in it where the where the the man in the book uh, extols his wife and he does such a wonderful job of it. I I, I want to write that down and make it my own. I'm learning from that, uh, learning from praying with others whose own engagement with God in prayer both challenges and encourages me. In other words, just doing what uh, the Ephesian believers must have done in response to the prayers of Paul as he wrote that letter to them, that you will know the immeasurable greatness of his power, that you will understand these things, that your mind will be filled with the love of God. Instead of just simply praying about you know, our upcoming interview, about which God is concerned, but the great thing in reading these prayers of Paul is not what he prays, it's what he doesn't pray. He doesn't ask them to pray for him to get out of prison. He doesn't ask for any of the routine things that we ask for. So the challenge of it is, oh, wow, I think my prayers are rather selfish and me-oriented. Mm. Uh, and, and, and then the encouragement, not to bury ourselves with guilt, but to say, but what does this do? Well, it provides me with an opportunity uh, to broaden my horizon, to pray big, and to learn to pray like an apostle. Amen. It's been a privilege talking with you, uh, Alistair Begg. And uh, again, uh, you know what? As we wrap up the book, Pray Big, just on a, on, a, on a fun note, one of our current pastors at our church is from Ohio, a big Cleveland Browns fan, which till recently provided a lot of fodder for sermons pertaining to struggle and persevering and remembering this world is not our home. <laughs> yeah. how, how about for you? Do you do you uh, you mentioned the uh, the Masters? Are you a Browns fan, Cavaliers, Ohio State football, or or the true football of soccer? Perhaps. Well, my 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 first love and and, and the, the the language of my heart is is soccer. And uh, yesterday was my day off, and I watched uh, Tottenham Hotspur defeat Manchester City in the quarterfinal of the European Championship. <laughs> Uh, a game that only had one goal, which most of my American friends would regard as a colossal waste of time. <laughs> right. But for me, it was like uh, a meal of of uh, peculiar uh, uh, beauty and uh, and taste. But I'm learning just to be a fan of all things Cleveland. Yeah, it's, they'll probably serve you well. It looks like you're on the upswing there, so... Oh, yeah. Yeah, enjoy. Well, God bless you, and um, we'll let you go. I know you've got plenty going on. Do you have a second to just let us know what we can pray for you about on the topic of Pray Big? Yeah, you know, I always say the same thing, and that is that, that people might pray for me in terms of faithfulness, uh, faithfulness to my calling, faithfulness to uh, the gospel, uh, faithfulness to my wife and family, uh, that in all things, you know, I, I might commend Christ. Amen. Sounds good. We'll do that. And again, thank, thank you for you. your time. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And you too, my friend. Thank, thank you. Bye-bye. You. Bye-bye. Very grateful to have Alistair Begg of Truth For Life joining us on the Tim DeMoss Show today. Brand new book out today called Pray Big. Find out more online at truthforlife.org. Jim Maxim, Acts 413 Ministries, leads in prayer next. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.